You're listening to Comedy Central. January 6, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Trevor Noah, our guest tonight is a California congresswoman and the head of the Congressional Black Caucus. Representative Karen Bass is joining us, everybody. (laughs) Also on tonight's show, chocolate is now controlled by the cartel. Secret techniques to get back into work. And Donald Trump starts 2020 with a bang. So let's catch up (laughs) on today's headlines. It's the first Monday of the new year, which means everybody is officially back at work today. And if you're one of those people who has trouble starting up again after vacation, well, here's some news you can use. Nearly half of Americans dread returning to the office after vacation. With the holidays over, here are a few tips to ease yourself back into work. Number one, start with small tasks that you can accomplish easily. Keep a clean desk to stay focused. And also, don't forget to take breaks to keep your energy and creativity levels high. Also, a good idea to reconnect with coworkers over some coffee and brainstorm ideas for your favorite project. According to researchers, working on tasks that you actually care about will help you get excited about going back to work overall. Okay, is it just me or those just tips to do what already happens at work? (laughs) It's like, accomplish tasks, take breaks, and talk to coworkers. That's work. Who came up with that list? Uh, If you want to try to get back into work, try working. That's working. It's like those relaxation guys that are like, step one, breathe in. Now breathe out. What else was I gonna do, huh? (laughs) Breathe in, breathe in. That's called living. (laughs) And these tips don't even apply to most jobs, like brainstorm ideas for a project. What if you work at Quiznos, huh? Huh? (laughs) I was thinking we put the bread on the inside. (laughs) Basically, if you have a job where you need tips for easing yourself back into work, you should be glad you have an easy job. Because no one's showing up to a coal mine like, guys, I'm treating today as more of a me day. (laughs) Yeah. We don't need scientists studying this. Like, when they're like researchers, what are these researchers? You don't, we don't read researchers telling us how to go back to work. You know what we need? We need researchers studying how Brad Pitt seems to be real life Benjamin Buttoning. How does he look so goddamn good? How are you so sexy, Brad Pitt? Look at him. All right, moving on. From people who don't want to go back to work, to one guy who really does. You may remember that Venezuela is a country in chaos right now. The economy has crashed, people can't afford food, and two men both claim to be the rightful leader. President Nicolas Maduro and the head of the Venezuelan Congress, Juan Guaido. And over the weekend, there was an awkward moment when Guaido showed up at the office and found that Maduro had changed the locks. There was chaos outside Venezuela's opposition-controlled National Assembly. Security forces blocked opposition leader Juan Guaido from presiding over a special session of Congress to elect a leader. At one point yesterday, Guaido tried to climb a fence but was prevented from entering. Guaido has been recognized as Venezuela's head by more than 50 nations, including the U.S. Opposition leaders blamed President Nicolas Maduro for the move to try and oust Guaido. God damn! What is going on in Venezuela? It's like South American ninja warrior. What is that? 
Politicians are trying to climb over the fence just to vote. That would never happen in America. Can you imagine Mitch McConnell climbing a fence to try to get into Congress? Although he probably wouldn't climb. He would just try and ooze through the bars. <laughs> He'd just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly scared. Seriously, I'm very impressed by Guaido because there's no vote that would be important enough for me to try and jump a fence that had all of those sharp points on top of it. I'd be like, uh, is this a vote to replace my testicles for free? Uh, then no, I'm gonna wait outside. I bet there was one politician inside the building who was like, I wonder which way Guaido's gonna vote because right now he seems to be on the fence. Get it? <laughs> Get it? Just me? Okay. All right, and finally, if you love chocolate, first of all, congratulations on being basic. And second, prepare to pay up. The top two cocoa producers in the world, this is front page news in the Wall Street Journal, have decided to join forces and form a cocoa cartel. Ivory Coast and Ghana combined produce about two thirds of the world's cocoa supply. Oh. And they are banding together to raise prices. So you can expect the cost of candy bars, ice cream, and cake to go up about 16%. Premium cocoa prices are due to take effect in October. This is a super interesting story. Cause on the one hand you think of chocolate bars and you yeah. think like Willy Wonka and right. like everyone's yes. having fun. Nah. And the golden <laughs> ticket, yes. All right, this is big. Two of the world's biggest cocoa producers have teamed up to form the Cocoa Cartel which also happens to be my stripper name. <laughs> Don't forget, tickets are still available for the show at the Man Cave next uh, Tuesday. The DJ doesn't come in that early, so I need you guys to hum Britney Spears while I dance. <laughs> but for real, but for real, it's a cocoa cartel. It's a real thing. Sounds like a lot of fun. Cause now I'm imagining like cocoa dealers opening briefcases of cocoa powder. Like this better be pure. And just like, mmm, <laughs> Mr. Toblerone will be very pleased. It's also funny how when the news anchor said, most people think of chocolate, they think of Willy Wonka. Who? <laughs> Who thinks that? Cause you realize Africa makes 75% of the world's cocoa, right? So if Charlie got a golden ticket in real life, they would ship him to Ghana to meet the real Willy Wonka. Yeah. That's who that would be. That would be the real Willy Wonka. That movie would be completely different if it was real life. Charlie would be there in the factory, and Willy Wonka would be like, now, Charlie, look at me. Look at me, Charlie. You are the captain now, okay? That fat German kid had to die, Charlie, because you are the best. So if anyone comes, you tell them you are running everything here, all right? All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. It is officially 2020. New decade, new year, new goals. Now, personally, I didn't make a New Year's resolution this year. I was gonna go on an all-vegan diet, but then my friend told me it's illegal to eat vegans. But there is someone who did make a New Year's resolution, the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. The president has indeed repeatedly called for ending costly foreign wars. He said so as recently as New Year's Eve, specifically referring to Iran. I wanna have peace, I like peace. Okay. Clearly Trump ran beauty pageants for so long, he started to answer questions like he's in one. I want world peace, I like peace, and now for my talent, I will burp the alphabet. <laughs> so on December 31st, Donald Trump said his dream was for peace, specifically in the Middle East. And then on January 2nd, he did this. This is CNN Breaking News. Our breaking news tonight, 
is huge. A rocket attack on the Baghdad airport kills Iran's most revered military leader and a senior official in Iraq's paramilitary forces. Now, the Pentagon announced tonight that the attack was a U.S. airstrike. Sweet Jesus. Donald Trump ordered the killing of Iran's top general. What happened to peace, huh? When most people break their resolutions, they eat ice cream instead of working out. This guy rained down fire on these motherfuckers. He ate ice cream while doing it. Now, despite, despite, that's a real thing. He ate ice cream while it was happening. He's like, mmm. Now, despite all the instant experts on social media suddenly tweeting about Soleimani, the truth is, for most Americans, Iran's top general was far from a household name, right? The only Iranian leaders most people know are the Ayatollah and the Iron Sheik. It's a very broad range. But don't get it twisted. Don't get it, don't get it twisted. For Iranians, General Soleimani was as big as it gets. Qasem Soleimani was no ordinary general. The U.S. officially classified him as a terrorist, but in Iran, he was a national hero. This morning, the entire region on edge. Iran vowing retaliation amid fears the two nations are on the brink of an all-out war. Funeral processions, unlike anything seen in decades, are continuing this morning. President Trump and Iran are also dangerously trading very serious threats of war. A commander of Iran's Revolutionary Guard said his country has 35 U.S. targets in its crosshairs, ready to pull the trigger. President Trump tweeted over the weekend, the U.S. has 52 targets identified, including cultural sites in Iran. Okay, you have to admit this is wild. Trump kills Iran's top general. And then when Iran threatens to retaliate, Trump says, you better not, or I'll destroy your culture. Yeah, what's next? He's just gonna send a text like, oh, you think you're crazy? Well, I'm loco, essay. <laughs> now, first of all, destroying cultural sites is probably a war crime. You can't do that, right? Because according to the Geneva Convention, in war, the things you destroy are supposed to be for the purpose of the war, not just to be dicks. But secondly, there is no way Trump knows anything about Iranian cultural sites, okay? <laughs> In fact, if Iranians are smart, they'll use this to their advantage just to get Trump to get rid of stuff that they don't want. They'd be like, please, Mr. Trump, don't destroy our most cherished cultural landmark, that karaoke bar next to my house that stays open till 3 a.m. Don't do it, Donald. So now, the United States and Iran are on the brink of war, but the killing of Iran's general has a ripple effect across the entire Middle East. The death of Qasem Soleimani in Baghdad ignited a new chapter of regional tensions. American allies in the region are preparing for possible retaliation and are on high alert. So are American forces, with 9,000 in the region and 3,000 extra preparing to deploy. The State Department issued an urgent warning overnight telling all Americans in Iraq to leave the country immediately. The Pentagon announced that the U.S. has paused its efforts in the fight against ISIS due to a need to protect U.S. troops in the region. Iraq's parliament voted to kick out the 5,000 U.S. troops in the country. President Trump fired back, telling reporters if Iraq does force U.S. troops to leave, he'll make Iraq pay for money the United States spent in Iraq to build an expensive airbase. We're not leaving unless they pay us back for it, he said. Okay, guys, I don't know, but I think it's safe to say that this thing's not going according to plan. <laughs> because you realize now, America is sending more troops to the Middle East. And also, how is Trump gonna flat out refuse to leave someone else's country, right? He would be the worst Airbnb tenant of all time. <laughs> yeah, just writing a review like, I burned myself cooking meth in your kitchen, so I'm not leaving until you give me my money back. <laughs> now, 
You might be wondering, how could this well-thought-out plan to assassinate an Iranian general turn out so chaotically? Well, maybe it's because this plan wasn't so well-thought-out after all. After the president saw the protests at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad and blamed Iran, aides presented the president with a variety of options. Top American military officials put the option of killing him on the menu they presented to President Trump. Military leaders were stunned when President Trump decided to kill Soleimani, top brass viewing his death as the most extreme option they presented to the president. Okay, now, I know this might not be a popular opinion, but this is where I don't blame Trump. Pentagon officials gave Trump a menu of options, but then they were shocked when he chose the most extreme one? <laughs> Get the f- out of here, man. You were shocked. Have you seen Trump's apartment? What part of his life makes you think he's ever gonna pick middle-of-the-road options, huh? <laughs> if you don't want Trump to pick something, why'd you give him the option in the first place? Donald Trump will always pick the most extreme option on a menu, whether it's a military strike or KFC. He's always gonna pick the most extreme thing. He'd be like, yes, I'll have the meat lover's explosion with extra bacon served in a kiddie pool of ranch dressing. <laughs> They'd be like, sir, uh, we don't actually have that. That's just like a publicity stunt. He's like, that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> and no lettuce. <laughs> so now, because of Trump's extreme decision, the world is in a state of panic. Because, like, the truth is no one really knows what's gonna happen next. Nobody. We could be on the brink of war, World War III, or the whole thing could just fizzle out, like the beef between Nick Cannon and Eminem. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people don't know, but uh, Jared Kushner actually brokered that peace deal. Yeah, (laughs) he does stuff. So we don't know what's gonna happen, but the question on everyone's mind is, why would Donald Trump even bring everybody to this point? Why do something so risky? Why now? Nobody knows. If only there was a wise man, some wise man in 2011 who could have predicted why this would be happening today. Our president will start a war with Iran because he has absolutely no ability to negotiate. He's weak and he's ineffective. So the only way he figures that he's going to get reelected and as sure as you're sitting there is to start a war with Iran, I believe that he will attack Iran sometime prior to the election because he thinks that's the only way he can get elected. Isn't it pathetic? He's right. It definitely is. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. As tensions rise between America and Iran, There's a lot of so-called experts trying to make sense of this chaotic moment. But if you want a clear, informed analysis, then you have to turn to more reliable journalists. The Daily Show news team. Joining us by satellite, please welcome Michael Costa, Roy Wood Jr., and Desi Lydic, everybody. Let's, uh, let's start with Desi, who's actually in Iran right now. Desi, President Trump says he wants peace yet his attack on General Soleimani clearly escalates the likelihood of a conflict. How does that make sense? Uh, Trevor, it makes perfect sense. If you want to reduce tension with a country, you kill their top general and threaten their entire way of life as they know it. Boom. Situation de-escalated. 
it does, that doesn't make sense. How does it de-escalate things? Uh, all right, okay, it's like if some woman wanted to fight you in a bar. You have to stay calm, pour your drink on that bitch, and kiss her husband on the tongue. Situation de-escalated. <laughs> I don't think that's right, Desi. I mean, if, if someone kissed your husband... Who the f*** kissed my husband, huh? <laughs> Tell me, I will hit them back so hard without thinking it over for one second. Well, well, this is what I'm talking about. Iran has vowed to get revenge for the killing of General Soleimani. So if they retaliate, what happens next? Well, then we de-escalate even harder until all life itself has been de-escalated from this planet. Especially that bitch who kissed my husband. Was it Carol? It's, it's, it's not, let's move on. Let's move on to Roy Wood Jr., who's at the White House right now. Roy, please help us understand the timing around the attack. Because officials are saying Soleimani was both a long-term target and he's also an imminent threat. So why now? Trevor, you are blind. Not in the cool Stevie Wonder kind of way. This isn't about Iran. This is a classic diversionary tactic where a leader goes to war in order to distract the population from domestic strife. Because remember, there's another big problem Trump wants everyone to forget about back home. Uh, of course, his impeachment. No, n- that movie Cats. <laughs> Have you seen this shit? It was an, an international embarrassment, the likes from which this country may never recover. <laughs> They all had human hands. All the cats had human hands, and some of them cats were sexy. I didn't even want them to be sexy. I got a cat at the house, and now I can't look him in the eyes. His paws are so soft. Just... Roy, 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 I don't think cats is such a disaster that Trump would start a war over it. Oh, really? Look what they did to my boy Idris Elba. He was supposed to be the next James Bond. Now he's a cat pimp. And why is he wearing a fur coat? He's a cat. He's already got fur, Trevor. Okay, Roy, you're obviously going through your own crisis. Let's move on to Michael Costa, who's in Iraq right now. Michael, this feels reminiscent of the Iraq war, right? Going into Iran feels like a similar move. Bad leadership, no exit strategy. Mm -hmm. What do you think about a potential war with Iran? Uh, Trevor, it's a great idea. And let me tell you about America. Americans have great ideas. Like, for example, just now, my phone charger snapped off into this electrical outlet. You, as a South African, would probably just buy another phone charger. But me, as an American, I came up with a great idea. I'm gonna get it out with these metal tweezers. M- Michael, that, that sounds like a really bad idea. You don't tell me what's a bad... God, shit, God damn it, ah! Anyway, Trevor, the, the war with Iran couldn't be easier. We go in, we're greeted as liberators, and we all get free oil for life. Ah, get the Waffle House, God! Costa, 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 are, are, are you sure? I mean, the last time America's military got involved in that region, it was one of the greatest mistakes in modern U.S. history. Well, well Trevor, we're a country that learns from its mistakes. Ah, piss it at IHOP! Man, that's hurting, but the point is, <laughs> We're not gonna fall into the same trap, okay? We're just too smart for that. Oh, get a cheesecake factory! I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. A... Can I just get us back on track here? Yes, Desi, thank you so much. Some logic, please. Look, I think we're missing what's at the heart of this issue. The real question is, who's the bitch who kissed my husband? You know what, we're out of time. Desi Lydic, we're with Junior, Michael Cost, everybody. We'll be right back.
My guest tonight is serving her fifth term in Congress. The California Democrat is also chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Please welcome Representative Karen Bass. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It back. has been a few years since you've been here, and it is safe to say a few things have happened a since few. you have been here. Yes. Yes, life has changed dramatically for congressional Democrats specifically. Yes. Let's talk about the news of the day, Iran. Yes. This is one of those stories where many people are speculating as to what Trump's true intentions were. Right. A lot of people are also saying that this could be America getting into another war mm-hmm. where a president just does it on his own with no congressional approval as it is supposed to happen. What do you make of that? Especially seeing as the Trump administration says, no, this is technically linked to 9-11 and everything that has happened before. It's not a new war. Who knows? The problem is, is that the president has lied more than 10,000 times since he's been in office. So how can we believe anything that is said from the administration? One minute you say there was an imminent threat, but you can't tell anybody what the threat was. You know, they bring members of Congress in for a top secret briefing and they tell us all the goods. They don't even have it planned. So we really don't know what went on and that's what makes it so scary. Right, when you, when you look at the situation as it stands now, it looks like America may be in a position where there could be another war brewing. More troops exactly. are now headed to the Middle East. Yes. Democrats have, have drafted a bill trying to limit the powers that a president has in going to war. Do you think these, the same law would have been drafted if it were the Democratic president? Yes, actually, uh, President Obama asked us to draft the law because the last time a president was given permission to go to war, it was with Iraq. So that permission is years old. Right. President Obama asked us to do it, but we didn't do it. Huh. Why do you think that was? Well, I think that there was a lot of differences. Remember, the Republicans were in control, but in January of last year, the Democrats took over. So I do believe that when we go back in session tomorrow, that before the week is over, we will actually vote on a new resolution. The War Powers Act is what it's called. And I believe we'll vote on it again, and we will definitely try to limit this president. You know, he didn't even know who Soleimani was a few months ago. He thought he was (laughs) Kurdish. You know, and, and remember now, he was the one that was involved in helping us get rid of ISIS right. out of Iraq. Well, and I think, so, but I think in, to, in Trump's defense, though, I think, first of all, the clip that's going around was from 2015 before he was president. And he didn't, yes, he didn't know who Soleimani was. He said, I don't think Kurds he knew and... two weeks ago. You genuinely don't I think so? really don't, because you know he doesn't read. But then let me ask you. <laughs> I can't dispute that. Right. I can't dispute that, but... But then l- let me ask you honestly, who do you, who do you think is more to blame? The president who made this decision or the generals who presented him with the decision that was so crazy that even they were shocked by it? Well, I, I agree with you. They should have never presented that. But there are people in his administration, like the secretary of state, who have been wanting to go to, to war with Iran right. for a long time. So I think this was just the excuse. You know, I've been to that base, the green zone. I've been to that... Um, that uh, embassy. And the idea that that was overrun was huge. It means that the Iraqi military kind of said, have at it, guys, when they they, uh, had all the protests and were burning the embassy down. It is an interesting time for for the U.S. in the world, the way America approaches the world and the way the world is approaching America. It's also interesting for the U.S. because impeachment is still a hot topic despite the new year. Many people 
would argue that Democrats and Nancy Pelosi specifically withholding the articles of, of impeachment from the Senate shows that this was a partisan move. Why not, oh, yeah. why not send the articles of impeachment through? Why not have the process continue, considering that the Democrats said that this process has to take place as quickly as possible? Right, well, I'm sure that we will be sending them over. You remember, we voted on impeachment right before both houses recessed. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we will do it. But I know that Speaker Pelosi wants there to be a legitimate trial. Can you imagine the foreman of a jury going into the courtroom and telling the judge, hey, judge, I'm meeting with the defendant. We're on the same page. Right. That's what Mitch McConnell did. And but, so what but, the speaker wants to see mm -hmm. is a legitimate trial, a process. But is there a legitimacy to this trial? Because it, it isn't the same thing as a criminal trial. I mean, that's, that's the quirk of American law is that it's not a criminal trial. They can say that they're unbiased. They're not really a jury. It's, it's an interesting process where Senate, you know, Mitch McConnell has the most power in this process. So do you, do you think it makes sense for them to give you the veneer of, of being neutral? Or would you rather they just say, no, we're going with Trump regardless of what happens? Well, I actually think if they brought some witnesses forward that some of those senators might develop the courage needed to do what they know is right. You know what they could do? What if they got together and decided to have a secret ballot? If they did a secret ballot, I think Trump would be out of there in 24 hours. I mean, the reason why the Republican, the reason why the senators who know better are going to defend him is because they're afraid he's gonna tweet. They're afraid he's gonna go and have a rally in their district. So you think if the senators voted in secret to, to impeach Trump, to charge him, then you think that they would vote against Donald Trump? I do, and several of the former said, you know, Jeff Flake, Senator Flake said he thought that a lot of people would vote against him to kick him out if they could do it on a secret ballot. But they're all afraid, and I think that's shameful. Let's move now to your work. Let's move now to your work within the Congressional Black Caucus. Yes. America's in a really interesting place. Gearing up for the 2020 election, Democrats are in an interesting place where you have more candidates than ever, and yet at the same time, less representation than ever as we look at it now. Um, some are saying that the party doesn't represent its constituents. Others are saying that this is just a byproduct of the way the race was run. Where do you think the Democratic Party stands? Is it too many ideas under one tent, or do you think people can coalesce behind one idea? Oh, I think people are so concerned about getting this guy out of office. I mean, I would like for it to be before November, but if not, it absolutely has to be by November, and I believe that we will coalesce. I really do. And I think the thing about Democrats is we are very diverse. You look at my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Look at it sometimes. They all look the same. <laughs> we... <laughs> they do. <laughs> But don't you think... But don't you think that makes it easier for them to work as a unit? Absolutely. Because if you look at the Republican Party, yes, they do look the same, but they also have the same ideas. So they go, this is what we're voting for. Right. We'll vote for Trump. We'll, you know, as they said in 2016, hold our noses and make the decision. Democrats have, as many have called, either a purity test or ideologies that are different. Ocasio-Cortez even said recently... Uh -huh. She would not be in the same party as Joe Biden if it weren't a two-party system. Do you think those divisions can be healed when it's time to have one Democratic candidate? I absolutely do. And I believe that my colleague will be right there too. Because if we have a choice, it might not be your favorite choice as to who wins the nomination, but look at what's at risk. 
the Supreme Court, the federal judges, all of the agencies that he appointed cabinet secretaries to, so they would go in and destroy the agencies. Mm -hmm. There's too much at risk. So the Congressional Black Caucus, we're bringing leaders together from around the country in a few weeks to talk about 2020 is the do or die year. If we get it wrong, we are gonna screw up this place for the next two generations. And you talk about our standing in the world, people laugh at us, I know you know that. I, I sit on foreign affairs, I go around the world. <laughs> How can I say anything about corruption in another country? How can I tell an African leader, oh, don't appoint your son. He's got his son, he's got his daughter, he's got his whole family there. Right. He goes and plays golf, every time he goes and plays golf, we pay for it. He's made a truckload of money since he's been president. When you look at black voters then, as the Congressional Black Caucus, how do you address some of the unique concerns that many black voters in America have where they say, many say, hey, I haven't seen my life change that much. I, I, I don't see the effectiveness of my vote. I don't understand, uh, you know, why I need to come out yeah. and vote. I don't even know if I'm just being used as a pawn. It yeah. feels like black voters in America get recognized when it's voting time, and then for the rest of the term, they're just on the back burner. How would that change, or do you think there are certain ways you could address the black vote. I absolutely think, and I think it's our responsibility. It is my responsibility. I mean, one of the reasons why we're coming together and doing this summit in a couple of weeks is because we wanna make sure that people understand the differences that the Black Caucus has made. A lot of times, I think one of our weaknesses as the Black Caucus is we really haven't spent the time telling people these are the things that we got done. We got right. $40 million for historically black caucuses, I mean, black colleges. We've been able to do all of these things. So it's my responsibility as a member of Congress to make sure that people understand this is why you vote. You vote, number one, because you don't want bad things to happen, but number two, because you can actually get things done. Criminal justice reform. About 20,000 people have been released from prison because of the work that we did, and it was led by the Black Caucus, even though <laughs> Trump tries to take credit for it. But we have a lot of legislation that we've been able to accomplish, but it's our job to make sure that people know that. You're working... You're working now on a, on a really interesting project, and that is working on America's relationship with Africa. Yes. And specifically Africa's image. Yes. Why is that important, and what are you trying oh, to do? Oh, it's, it's so important to me to change the way our country views the continent of Africa. And I actually think that we kind of look at Africa like we do inner-city America. You know, all the problems, you know, uh, needing help all the time. And I joke and say that people in the United States think Africa is a country the size of Texas. I mean, so it's important to me to educate people that Africa is a continent with 50 plus countries. You can fit the United States in there three times. Mm -hmm. And we need to view Africa as a partner, an opportunity the rest of the world does. We need to do business with the continent of Africa and not just look at Africa from the point of view of foreign aid. As a matter of fact, I like the slogan that's used in Africa, trade, not aid. So we're gonna be taking a delegation over to the opening of the African Union uh, in February. And then in, in August, uh, Speaker Pelosi led a delegation with the Congressional Black Caucus to go to Ghana because you know, last year was the 400th anniversary mm -hmm. from our arrival on the continent. It's an exciting time. It is. Especially for you and your job. <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Wonderful to see you again. Congresswoman Karen Bass, everybody. Thank you so much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app.
Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.